This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Talking Dirty over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, bedecked in diamonds, not the sparkly ones, uh, <laughs> only on his jumper. We have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Well, hello and welcome everybody. And I dare I say it, you look a bit like a peacock today. Over in Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson. It's all of the colourful flowers on my shirt. I'm embracing spring as are our guests. Cocky, though. There's that, 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 that sort of, you know, the lozenge on the feather. Mm, there's that colour <laughs> Yeah, all the peacock colours. Well, I'm yeah. happy with that description. And I say our guests are embracing spring because their garden is just a treasure trove of spring-like wonders, as I'm sure is your nursery. The wonderful Helena Picton and Ross Barber of Old Court Nurseries and the Picton Garden. Welcome <laughs> to Talking Dirty. Dressed for winter. Yeah, you're bundled up. <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting in the potting shed going this was a bad idea to be in the potting shed today <laughs> before we get stuck into talking about all of your wonderful plants and all your wonderful history do you have any middle names to share i'm the only one with a middle name i think so it's very boring but i'm victoria and i was named not after the queen but after the giant water lily which <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant <laughs> it's not that often that people have planty origins behind their names on this podcast <laughs> even on this podcast but I suppose it makes sense considering your heritage yeah well they were thinking about Petunia so I was quite glad when it went for Victoria I think that was a better option <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure most people listening or watching might know but we have got lots of, uh, of viewers and listeners all over the world who might not have been to your garden or be aware of the history but you've got this wonderful horticultural heritage stretching back Yes, so I'm really lucky. I'm third generation. Ross is the one that's come and joined us, so he's um, bringing his own uh, horticultural heritage with him. Horticultural baggage. Yeah, horticultural baggage. <laughs> we're a fairly small operation, so we're only, what, two and a half acres, all told? And an acre and a half of that is garden, but working garden, so we produce everything for the nursery here, but our background's in Michaelmas daisies, but Ross and I have really developed a great passion for all the spring plants as well. So that's what we've been working on for the last decade now, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Ross, you say you brought your horticultural baggage. What is your background? Um, I left school on YTS doing horticulture and, and just sort of went into big houses and big gardens and was the last thing I did before I came over here was a head gardener at a place called Ragley Hall in Warwickshire. So I was over there for about 16 years until I met Helen and got spirited over here. <laughs> Isn't Ragley Hall a health farm? It's still still private at the moment, I think. All yeah. right. Uh, Marquis Marchioness of Hertfordshire. Oh, know them well. <laughs> <laughs> so you got lured over to the Picton Garden and to the nursery then, Ross? Yeah, yeah, we were doing a big project in the in the old rose garden, so I wanted to make it a bit more contemporary, and we were going to put some Michaelmas daisies in it to extend the season. So, of course, got speaking to the experts and, and got to know Helen and slowly developed our, our, our friendship and uh, just seemed to spend more and more time over here until it was permanent. <laughs> 
there's no escape now. <laughs> Not now we're married, no. <laughs> no going back. <laughs> the Michaelmas Daisy thing, I mean, that is, I suppose, what you guys are best known for. Yes, definitely. I mean, that's how the nursery was established. So it was started in 1906 by a gentleman called Ernest Ballard. And he was really the first commercial breeder and raiser of Michaelmas Daisies. And it never really looked back after that. It's had brief changes when Michaelmas Daisies weren't fashionable, obviously. But uh, in essence, it's what's always been done. And my parents um, really redeveloped the collection in the 80s. And then we've taken it on and are now hopefully looking after it. (laughs) So obviously you've been working on the spring plants, of which, I mean, your snowdrop collection is absolutely heavenly. And anyone who follows this podcast, I mean, we have been getting quite into snowdrops over the past years. And we kind of each podcast, we sort of... We don't want we, we did a snowdrop special last year, but we don't want to necessarily only talk about snowdrops, but it is hard to resist. It is very hard. We found the same going around today because we were thinking, oh, well, you know, it's kind of towards the end of snowdrop season now. We don't want to do too much. And we still ended up picking a couple of snowdrops to bring in. It was like, <laughs> mm, they're just looking so good. <laughs> oh, which which ones were still looking good? So the oh. on the whole, the little Navalis are the ones that are still looking really good. So I hope that comes up yeah. okay. But so that's Prague Spring, and it's got that beautiful sort of fluorescence on the outside, and it pinches in those outers, and then really lovely green inner marking as well. And it's only tiny; it's a little <laughs> little teeny fellow, but it's just gorgeous. And the Navalis are definitely some of the latest, but we did also find that's still looking really good at the moment. There's oh. Veronica Cross. Oh which is a lovely, I mean, of the, well, it's still an inverted pock, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, and of that sort, I think there's something very special when they open up their skirts and start to dance. I think that's the real joy with them, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of our favourites. We got a bit obsessed by um, green marked snowdrops <laughs> at the moment. It's like, oh, <laughs> add another one. <laughs> who isn't? I mean, who isn't? I think they're, I think they're absolutely charming. I haven't got Veronica Cross. I think I've got about 200 varieties now, um, but I don't have Veronica Cross, so that's gone on my wish list, thanks yeah. to you. There we go, see, we're helping. <laughs> yeah, this podcast has a lot to answer for for a lot of people. <laughs> uh, which ones have you been adding then? Are there any that you got hold of sort of this season or last season that have flowered for the first time in your garden? Some older ones. Mm. We, got, we kind, kind of like to, to go back in time Beauty of snowdrops for us is the connections. So they're, they're, they're named, or a lot of the older ones are named for, for people and places. And, and you can start linking them all together through those people in those places, which we really enjoy uh, understanding and, and learning about. So it's nice to go back and get pick up some of the older ones. Like one we picked up this year was, was it Lord Lieutenant? Mm. With a lovely inner mark. And I think that's, is that connected to Goldsborne? I think so, but Ransom's Dwarf, that was a new one this year as well, which is lovely. We did actually have it before, didn't we? Uh-huh. And um, might Lost have it. killed it, <laughs> as happens. <laughs> well, that's the thing with snowdrops. What we seem to find with all the people we talk to is just certain ones do better in certain situations. So you can desperately long after a particular one, but it might just not like your soil, your situation. Yeah, we've got into the habit now of any new ones we have, we... we pot them up or keep them in their pots for the first year and uh, they do quite well like that and then you can move them on into the garden in the summertime especially if we bought them in the green 
I think with you guys, what's wonderful is that whole combination of planting the inspiration you give for not only the snowdrops but what to go with them and there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of beautiful things certainly in your garden to go alongside them so what what have you brought along to show oh, well we couldn't we couldn't resist temptation but i suppose some of the earliest flowering or longest flowering so that have really been overlapping with the snowdrops i know it doesn't i've been trying to warm it up but it hasn't gone very well but um <laughs> so it's I know you're looking at the yeah, it's an enemy blander, which of course it is, but it's um, in Grammii and it's a collected form of it. And it usually with us starts flowering sort of November time and then goes on right the way through the winter and then picks up properly beginning of February, doesn't it? And you get a mass of flowers and it's still producing new buds now. Um, prefers it when it's a little sunnier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been words with it about that. <laughs> we've got it planted with some Galanthus sandelsii, so that yellow of, of those just sets the whole, both of them off. And, and when the sun comes out and all those blue flowers open, it's just stunning. Oh, what a combination. I love that that is testifying to how chilly you are in your potting shed as well. <laughs> <laughs> I am the flowers not won't open. <laughs> but the other thing we love using with the snowdrops is crocuses. And obviously lots and lots, uh, the to Crocus thomasinianus is amazing. And once it starts self-seeding, I'm sure you grow it and know, and it's just, oh, it's yeah. such a joy. But we have a few other rather nice ones around. And he is firmly closed up, but I hope <laughs> that shows up. You see the tip. beautiful marking yeah. on there. So that's um, Crocus hufulanus silvery wonder. Um, there's, we've got a few different varieties now in the garden, but they are lovely. That bigger flower than the Thomas and the anus and then you get that lovely um very typical marking just below the tip of the flower on all of them and they really stand out so they come a little bit after the first of the zebra eyes and things like that and then you get the hoofs coming on and yeah a bit more refined than your burnus not that there's anything wrong with burnus but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's always about finding the extra special <laughs> definitely well, Shockwave, which is another hoof layers, was on our wish list for a long time, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. We did eventually manage to get a bulb and we're carefully looking after it now. It's doing quite well, actually. Yeah. It's up well, I see it around a lot. I, I also love hoof layers just for their name. Mm. It's always fun to have a plant that's got a fun name to say. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> it always sort of reminds me of Glanthus Heffalump as well. I think that's... Um, yeah, me too. I was yes. just thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, great minds. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think Heffalump was just a big fella, wasn't he? I mean, he was Primrose Warburg's husband. That's um, right. She was the Dwyane of, of Galanthophilia, really, I suppose. And if you got on the list, I never did, of course, but if you got on the list, that's, well, I think I was rather perhaps a little bit too young, but I, I think if you got on her list to have, go and have a snowdrop lunch, you did not say no. Um, and there are one or two people doing things like that Today, still, I think John Morley, who lives in Suffolk, he's a great galanthophile and has an enormous collection of snowdrops. And we have a, a morning in John's garden every year in February um, just to gaze in wonder at all these wonderful things. And I have to say, I went this year and I, I mean, I, I told you earlier, I've got probably over 200 different varieties of snowdrop and I fell in love with another one. And that, <laughs> this one happened to be Treasure Island. I don't know whether you know it, but Treasure yeah. Island. Well, we're yeah. spinning back right to Veronica because Veronica used to do the lunches as well before she. And that's where Treasure Island came from. A couple of years ago, and that's where yeah. Treasure Island came from. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, we were lucky enough to go 
there to a few of the lunches before we sadly lost her. And we remember seeing Treasure Island before it was named, and it is, it's a, it's a cracking snowdrop. Yeah. It stands out, doesn't it? <laughs> that was rather a fascinating tale about Veronica, wasn't it? Because she she named that that snow that particular snowdrop Treasure Island because that's where she used to put all her treasured snowdrops on the island in the in the pond or the lake or whatever it was. It's an island, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So so they are protected. Well, there's long long john silver pieces of eight all come from the island. As does as does wasp, I think. Yeah, Certainly. I think wasp. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I do like wasp. I'm not, I can't possibly claim to be a galanthophile. So I started my collection this year, but I like one that I can clearly identify. So wasp is great for easy identification. No, I agree. I think it's, uh, although you, once you get started, you kind of get led down all sorts of streets, but it's a nice to be able to look at them from a good sort of two feet back and be like, yeah, I know which one that one is. There'd be a lot of people look at snowdrops and people who, um, really enthused about them and think you're absolutely bonkers. But talking about um, Primrose Warburg's husband, uh, who was known as Hef, he was into mosses and even had a moss named after him. So if you think snowdrops are insane to, to study, what about mosses? That's absolutely bonkers. Well, Ross, you know what the saying is, there's someone for everybody on this world. <laughs> the other good thing with um, distinctive snowdrops is then you can kind of potentially detect parentage in seedlings. And I'm sure with the amount you get, you must get some amazing seedlings. It, it takes a long time before the seedlings start coming through. And our, yeah. our collection is only about 10 years old here. So only now are, are things starting to appear and not that exciting either. I think we've, we've probably missed the boat on on having the chance to name anything <laughs> special because there's so much coming through now but but they're starting to pop up and we we enjoy the snowdrops just for being snowdrops you know yeah. um we've a lot of clumps that came from people um that we don't know what are we'll, we'll probably never know what they are but they're, they're super plants and and they just look fantastic and we appreciate them just for that I think it's a great thing actually naming snowdrops after the person that gave them to you because um Several years ago now, Vanessa Scott, who part of a radio programme that I did, she brought me in a clump of snowdrops and I immediately divided them when I got home and I put them in the garden and they made a lovely patch. Um, but I don't know what they are. They're, they're, they're quite special, quite nice. And they, people look at them because they're slightly different. I think they're probably slightly bigger. And I just called it Nestle's because <laughs> Ness and Les, her husband, you see, so it's Gal Galanthus Nestle's. And they... <laughs> Up and they were quite confused and said, "What is? Where did you get that? What is it?" And I mean, it's just a personal thing for me. I think a lot of plants arrive in gardens and and they end up with a label just from the person who it's come from. Yeah, historically, and sometimes sure. those plants start going around with that name. Named after people or the place or the, or the name of the garden, yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. a nice thing when you get more into gardening because you know when I first started, I had no idea. First of all, I didn't know who most of the gardening people were, and then I had no idea if 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 it was a particularly famous garden. And then you sort of get to know, and then you understand so much more about what the plants' names mean. And it can draw you to a plant as well. We've got um, another galanthophile, Amy Doncaster. We've got a shrub named for her, Mrs. Amy Doncaster, if Helen can, can find it. That's uh, Ribes, is it Laurifolium? Yeah. Laurifolium. And it's a bit more of a scrambling beast. Like likes to sort of trail a bit, but this is a super thing in the garden at the moment. It's been flowering for weeks. The great thing about that is it fulfills so many people's dreams, being sort of lemony, limey green. I mean, that, that green flower, I've, I've got that 
in the, well, I'm not going to say I've got it now because I, I, I did have it with lime green hellebores underneath it and it, they look stunning together. But I think that may be a piece of garden that's got rather neglected. So I don't know whether it's still there, but I definitely have Amy Doncaster. And the great thing about Amy Doncaster is the fact that that shrub will grow in a north facing position. So it will grow in shade. Yeah. And it is beautiful as well. We yeah. can almost relive your conversation. Hey. <laughs> like we planned it. <laughs> Just hold those two up together again because, uh, you know, so people can see how well. Yeah, super good. Is our, our green hellebore any particular one? It's absolutely stunning. No, it was the first plant I ever gave Ross as a present. And it came, of course, from John Masses from Ashwoods. Yeah. But it doesn't have a name in particular. But it is. It's one of our favourites, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it bolts up really well. It's sterile as well. Yeah, we've, so you get the length of flowering. We've a lot in the garden, but we only picked a couple to bring to show, and that was one of them. What other hellebores did you get? What other hellebore? We only had a one we picked today from a fairly recent breeding programme, actually. But it's called Pink Frost. Oh. I don't know if you've come across it. I haven't, no. Quite short. I mean, that's the full length of the stem. And it's oh. one of these ones that likes to look up at you rather than hanging its head. Um, really good foliage, so it's got a little bit of marbling in the foliage, but nice dark, I think that comes through, those lovely dark pink stems. Mm -hmm. And then the flowers often start very early, mm -hmm. sort of late January, February time. It's a little bit later this year, but it's a, it's a nice plant. I think it's, I don't know, you can get quite dismissive about some of the more recent breeding with hellebores, and particularly if, you know, if they're coming out of micropop and everybody gets a bit snooty about it. But um, I think there's some cracking ones coming on. and. Yeah, pink frost think, definitely. I think the thing with hellebores is that they get they get pushed by gardening journalists, don't they? Um, and the, you know that it's you mentioned fashions in plants and things, and I mean hellebores are just so fashionable. And if you can get slightly different colours, it is marvellous. Um, I particularly like some of the yellows that are on um, mm. John's website at Ashwood Nurseries. And I was very lucky a few years ago because there was an old gentleman who lived just on the outskirts of Norwich, and he bred hellebores and he I don't I can't remember who he bred them for but he bred them for a company um anyway long story short he gave up his position just outside Norwich and he moved somewhere like Hampshire I think and before he moved he gave me a call and he said look I'm, I can't take all these hellebores with me some I need to keep but they're in three litre pots deep pots would you like to come and help yourself two pounds a pot wow <laughs> Who could turn that offer down? I'm just a guy that can't say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I did, I went and, and I did um, have some, and I've got some extraordinary shapes and colours, really. Most of them are singles, but they are um, egg yolk yellow with a red middle. Um, yeah, the red uh, that combination is, is really nice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so um, I've, aren't, I've kept them separately. I can't scientifically go and breed them because that's not in my nature to do so. But I, they are in a separate place, and I'm just hoping that they're going to produce some seedlings. Yeah. Very exciting. Oh. That's that's another nice thing about hellebores, though, isn't it? Once you've got a few, you do start to get seedlings popping up. Yeah. And, unless, yeah they're, unless they're sterile, like your, your double green, of course. Yeah, in which case, unfortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> my great triumph at the weekend, I just popped to a local nursery and then um, was sort of perusing the hellebores I really want um some yellow ones and I, I don't know why but they, they unless you go to Ashwood or you know somewhere like that they don't seem to be particularly readily available in sort of normal 
smaller nurseries and garden centers. So I was sort of just looking around and found two in one pot. So I, that was my triumph this weekend. A nice pink speckled one and a white speckled one, two little plants. So I think there's something in what you just said, Thunder, because um, I think it's marvellous, isn't it? Because however busy we are, we always find just enough time to pop a nursery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a priority, you know. (laughs) We like to encourage this idea. Yeah, well, I've been been watching Ross take us on a tour of your garden, in actual fact, on Instagram. And I have to say, it's very much like my garden and the fact that, or the spring area is with, and you keep mentioning a lovely little pink violet. And I, oh. over, the, over the past few years, have been sort of championing violets. And um, I've got, well, I've got, you know, all the shades for, from the deepest purple right through to white. Um, and I have to say that they are the most mon- wonderful plant for carpeting a woodland area. Yeah. Um, because naturally they'll throw out the, all these little runners and they root as they go and all the rest of it. The only trouble with me and my violets is the muntjacks eat the leaves and they just leave the stalks. So we've got a sea of stalks standing up. No leaves, <laughs> no. the flowers are there. <laughs> that is not nice. No. <laughs> we're lucky that we don't, well, apart from once, we don't get muntjack in the garden. So we're all right. And yeah, as you say, the violets at the moment are looking fabulous. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we tried for a while getting some nice named varieties didn't we but to be honest we rather muddled them up and we just go with the uh, nice effects of all the different shades now that that'll do <laughs> you're a woman after my own heart helen because i did exactly <laughs> the same I, I named them all properly and all the rest of it, but the, the 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 names get weeded out and things and i mean and i i really got to the stage where i thought well you know i really can't be bothered with all that because the flowers are here and that's what we want more, more yeah. than anything i thought it was interesting i read at the weekend that um uh, I think it was a, somebody, a Rothschild woman, she had violet lawns. She lived in the south of France and grew Parma violets. But they had, can you imagine, a violet lawn? I mean, the gut, the waft of perfume from those lawns must have been spectacular. But I wonder how many gardeners she had. I can tell you, actually, that she had 105. <laughs> well, if only. <laughs> we could all have violet <laughs> lawns then, couldn't we? <laughs> So I mean, go for a I'll go for a, a a violet lawn if you like, but I think I think I'll stick to violet patches. Yeah, <laughs> I think that sounds very sensible. <laughs> Way forward. <laughs> but they do they work so well in creating that tapestry in the spring garden. You know, you do a yeah. patch of that, and yeah, three or four patches of that, and then start infilling that with crocuses and cyclamen and, and iris and things like that. They're especially good underneath bulbs, aren't they? Because they they weave and they, there's that green you haven't got just bare soil you've got that yeah. lovely green underneath you've got to get rid of the bare soil there's nothing worse and it's not good for the flowers of the bulbs either because you get that splash back now you sound like vita sackville west because that's Mud. what she said <laughs> <laughs> if 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 you see bare soil bare soil can see weed seeds coming down i mean we plant closely now i think what we i always have done um but the, oh, i remember going to sissinghurst about three years ago and what did i see bare soil i couldn't believe it and I thought, well, this is not what Vita had in mind when she gave the garden to the National Trust, perhaps. Uh, uh, there we are. And you're right about the splashback as well. I mean, anything you can do to stop that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we had a friend uh, who's a photographer and he came in and he was bitterly complaining that he had to spend hours photoshopping out mud splash off snowdrops. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it must be the real bane of any Galanthophile's life because um, I've been watching some of Jimmy Blake's little tours around his snowdrop collection and it's, uh, you know, oh, this one, it looked nice before the rain. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, 
but yeah, Ross is right. You've been doing some lovely tours on Instagram. If people aren't following the Picton Garden on Instagram, it's well worth it for it to, yeah. if you can't get to the garden to go and get a little bit of a look around. Yeah, we try and well, you try and give people a taster, don't you, of uh, what's out and what's looking. Yeah, nice. Have a little bit of inspiration now and again, and and do something. Yeah, it's fun. It's nice to to share. It's nice to share, and it's also nice for you because it makes you look at your garden probably with a keener eye. I think that, and yeah. I always find yeah. that it works for me. When I when I go off to take photographs of the podcast, it makes me look at things in a different way, probably. Yeah, um, it's amazing how you suddenly notice something that you thought was all right, and then you think, oh, actually, I could really do with just <laughs> a bit of something else there, or change yeah, that, yeah. tweaks. It's uh, it makes all the difference to a garden. I think. Yeah. The detail, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, definitely detail. What have you got next for show and tell? I'm loving these wonderful plants you've brought along. Well, I was busy sitting here trying to warm it up, but I don't think it's... <laughs> <laughs> So we might do a, a different one. Uh, so what I have brought is some of my favourites is irises. <gasps> so obviously um, you think of your big bearded irises and whatever for the summer, but the winter flowering iris can be absolutely gorgeous. I love the look on Ross's face when you reached for it just this anticipation the straight um iris angicularis or stylosa as it used to be which is a charmer but our big excitement this week after three years of waiting and the slugs didn't eat it was peloponnese snow came out today (laughs) or yesterday actually i suppose it was wasn't it Uh, it's Oh, I was so excited. <laughs> well, I no, I find, I mean, you'll 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 probably find this out. This is the first year it's flowered, but I find that Peloponnese snow produces more flowers than than the uh, the the mauve unguicularist, like Mary Barnard and all the others. That's well, we've got Alba and we've got Walter Butt as well, which do do really well. Um, and we've got this new so one. So this isn't one that was quite new to us. Uh, well, very new. It was so one selected, yeah, it did a pop. <laughs> it was selected by um, Bob Brown. It's called Diana Clare, and it's meant to be a lot more floriferous than. I your... think that's named after Mrs. Brown, is it not? It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. So it better be good, hasn't it? <laughs> our, our Penelope Snow took a while to settle in, and then the mole decided it didn't like it where it was, so it moved it along the garden a little bit. So it's it's had a, a wee bit of time to settle in, but now yeah. now it's got two three more buds coming on it so with a bit of luck there's something in what you say ross because i've noticed that i grow iris lazica the dark form of iris lazica you've got, You've got that there. too well here it is oh. <laughs> well i've got one form in my woodland garden that's so much more floriferous than the other three clumps i've got in another area of the garden and i've actually got that on my list this week to move the whole lot over to the woodland garden because if they like it there let let, let them grow there yeah, is it a different form or is it just in a in a happy place? <laughs> I think it's just in a happy place because yeah, yeah. where else it's growing, the, the the soil is a bit more compacted probably, and it's not as woodsy. Yeah, um, and it, you know it's not not as leaf, uh, probably not enough air in it or something. You know, it's interesting because I was always brought up with the idea that the iris angicularis needed to be right out, open, sunny position, preferably at the bottom mm. of a wall somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And of yeah. course, well, we don't have anything like this. In the nursery and I was like oh well that's a plant I'm not going to be able to grow then but it was visiting Ragley and Ross had big plantings of it under the mature oak trees and they did fabulously didn't they every year masses of flowers looking really and I was like oh oh <laughs> let's give it a go <laughs> I'm always saying this 
plants can't read books. So what, what you're told in books, um, you know, try something different. I mean, you don't have to sort of give your best place at the bottom of a wall. I mean, Ross has proved because he, he grew these irises under, under an oak tree. So let's experiment. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Was it, um, was it Bowles who said you should always buy three plants? Plant one where you want it to grow, one where the book says it should grow, and one where it's definitely not going to grow. And one of those will probably do all right. (laughs) I love that. I think as I learned so much on this podcast, it's one of the nice things. I think when you start with gardening, you probably just read the book or, or put it where you can put it, where you've got a tiny gap left. And I think as you evolve, you then learn so much, like move things around, you know, keep finding places until they're happy. And I, you know, that's what happens as you become a bit more experienced. I've got a long way to go, but it's nice to realize. We all do. We all do. (laughs) (laughs) Move things, find their happy place, experiment. I'm not sure I'm quite at the stage of buying three in my time. (laughs) One day. (laughs) That might be excessive, but. Oh, I'm not sure. It sounds like the dream, to be honest. <laughs> it's never excessive. I'm sorry. It's never excessive. I think, well, I think, I mean, personally, I would rather have three of one plant than one of three plants. Three yeah, but you've plants. got 32 acres, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> and deep pockets, I know. <laughs> it does make a difference. <laughs> have you managed to warm your plant up? I can I see have. you. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it turns out something ate one of the petals, but <laughs> couldn't tell what it was. Spring is definitely here. The celandines are out. Yeah. Yeah. This is a plant that uh, many people will curse widely, but of course, less than celandine. This one is copper knob, which sounds a bit rude, but anyway. It's talking dirty, Helen. <laughs> like, I know, sorry. <laughs> like brazen hussy, but with that vibrant orange. orange. It's a fab plant. I'm a, that's another rabbit hole I got um, led <laughs> astray. <laughs> Lesser celandines. The only trouble is you've got to remember not to weed them out. <laughs> well, I must say, it's a very well-polished copper knob. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is just this wonderful beacon, isn't it? You hold it up and it just lights everything up. I always love with the celandines as well. You get the sort of I don't know if it shows up very well but you get like the dark background on it uh back on the petals so when it's yeah. closed it looks sort of almost burnished and then you get this amazing color as it opens up one of my favorites has got the, the dubious name of double mud uh yes <laughs> it's, 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 it's slightly later flowering than, than probably copper knob is but double mud is um well it looks a bit mucky really doesn't it <laughs> I finally got hold of Crimson Damson, Crimson Damson last year, and that's a fab uh, double form again, but with those beautiful dark outers to the petals, and then you get this, oh, it's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) But that is a green leaf form as well, so you look at it and you think, is that definitely the right one? (laughs) Are you a keeper or a goer? Yeah, Yeah. I know. (laughs) Magnum's another good one. It's uh, dark foliage, but with a big, large... Pale well, vanilla. vanilla flower. Yeah, I always yeah. think of the ice cream magnum when it comes uh, to talking yeah. about that celandine. <laughs> Chocolate leaves, ice cream centre. Yes. <laughs> that sounds delicious. <laughs> there will be people who, who just can't get on board with the celandines, I suppose. But we yeah, can. I think there probably are. But, uh, <laughs> I think, I think you, miss so much, you miss so much because it's that, 
early part of the year. Now, if you take your heritage, Helen, from um, Ballard, Picton, Michaelmas Daisies, that's the other end of the year. But I mean, you know, there is so much of our, I think because, thanks to climate change, that our gardening year has become so much more interesting because you were talking about um, that little anemone that uh, intermittently flowers before Christmas, if you're lucky, but really comes into its own in the spring. And there's so many flowers that are doing that today. I mean, I couldn't believe it, but I walked into the Californian border in my garden yesterday and there's a diorama just poking a little bit of flower out. And I mean, well, I mean, what's not to like, but yeah. it's the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to plants not reading books again as well. Yeah, I saw that diorama on your Instagram and I was going to comment that it would go well with my Hebe and my Scabious, which are flowering. <laughs> yeah, we've, same here. I mean, things like Nortiers are all poking flowers up and you're thinking, well, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but we can crazy. enjoy them regardless. Yeah. Now, Ross, I saw you reach over for some of the show and tell. Well, I was thinking of continuing the theme of weeds. So I've got the arum. It's not a lot of people would probably like in their garden, but it can be quite I sexy. love them. There's <laughs> arum metallicum, metallicum, yeah. which got really nice markings on it. Yeah. And these are starting to become a bit of a, a, a passion for some people as well. We've got a few in the garden, but one I did pick to have a look at was this one. It says monk silver. And that's a lovely pale form with these lovely big, huge leaves that create this, this lovely clump in the garden. It's a quite a large growing one too, which is lovely. But you're right, Arums. I mean, Alan's had people get uh, get quite annoyed at him recommending Arums. Well, I think I think they did a, a rotating Ross thing. I think <laughs> <laughs> not, not advisable. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.